One of the most pernicious obstacles dogging nonprofits that are seeking funding is the impulse to project positivity. And the problem is that it makes sense to an extent. How can an organization secure grants or donations if it sounds like they're struggling or if it looks like they're facing setbacks? When seeking funding, there is an unspoken danger of presenting any organization as it is, a place full of imperfect, evolving people. This is The Nonprofit Experience, a podcast that presents candid conversations about the human experience of nonprofit work. I'm your host, Sandy Sear. Tiffany Guy and Phil Buchanan both work on addressing issues like bursting the bubble of positivity. Phil is president at the Center for Effective Philanthropy, or CEP for short, and the author of the recently published book, Giving Done Right. Tiffany is managing director at Blue Meridian Partners, a philanthropic funding collaborative, and also serves on the board of CEP. On today's episode, Tiffany and Phil discuss how they differ on addressing positivity for positivity's sake and examine the barriers between service providers and recipients. This episode was recorded at CEP's offices overlooking Mass Ave in beautiful Central Square, Cambridge, so you'll hear the sounds of the city come and go in the background as you listen in. Phil kicks off the conversation asking Tiffany about transitioning to her new role as a funder at Blue Meridian after she spent the last 20 years working at, and eventually leading, Bell, now Bell Excel, a childhood education nonprofit. I wonder what you're going to do to make sure you don't turn yeah. into a monster, you know, as a funder. You know, it's interesting. Right. Maybe you'll have to <laughs> keep watching me and be like, Tiffany, I observed something you're not going to like. Right. Uh, that would be great if you could yeah. call me out on that. So who knows? But, you know, I just, I kind of remember within the foundation, you know, we're trying to run an organization too. And right. we have our own experiences. You know, right. one, I work with two grantees right now. And one yeah. of my grantees is having trouble getting, standing up a data system that is a really important milestone for as part of our grant agreement. And yeah. um, it's important to their strategic plan. Their strategic direction is something they wanted to do, but we made it, we are funding it and we made it a milestone that they would achieve it and they're not on time with that. Yeah. And interestingly, I can think of a data system we're trying to stand up within Blue Meridian that's not going to be on time. And I'm right. actually in charge of it. Right? Right. So right. I'm like, right. yeah, you know, let's cut people some uh, some slack because right. these are real organizations with human beings that things things are just happening. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean they're failing. And so I, I try to just keep myself grounded in, for sure, I know what it's like to run an organization. But also, let's remember, we're running an organization. We run into our challenges. You know, we're not we're not perfect. We haven't solved problems either. Yeah. Um, but I think I think there's potential for it to happen. The other thing that what you asked is making me think of is the importance of diversity in many ways. So I not only represent the nonprofit leader when I'm you know within the organization within Blue Meridian and right. working with our grantees, but I also represent the beneficiaries. Right. You know, I I grew up in poverty. Right. You know, I grew up living in neighborhoods that we're now trying to serve and right. in a household that would be getting the kind of services that Blue Meridian is supporting now through others. So, yeah. you know, I know not only what it's like to run the organization, but I know what it's like for families to try to receive those services and yeah. benefit from them. And, you know, when we think about not necessarily at Blue Meridian, but across the sector, you know, organizations that have enrollment targets for their programs and then they don't hit them and it's like yeah that's because people who are living in poverty 
they want your service. This, I mean, like that's not an issue. But what are all the barriers they're trying to overcome right. to get to your to your service so that they can they can help their children and their families can be in a different place? I mean, I I just know those things intimately. Yeah. And I I can't forget those. Exactly. Those won't be yeah. forgotten for right. sure. Right. Um, but what what my behaviors evolve into? I don't know. I hope people check me on it. Yeah. No, I'm not really worried about you, but but I I just do wonder about that. Yeah. And I think. I'm inspired by the examples I can think of, and there's a few just in the last year or two of folks coming into, or or more, you know, coming into really important leadership roles in philanthropy who do bring that kind of experience mm-hmm. to the role. Um, yeah. Just the connection between between people's childhood story and yeah. what they're doing, what they're doing now, you know, can be really powerful. And I have a question for you. You, yeah. I know. One of the remarkable roles of CEP in the sector is bringing the voice of grantees to philanthropies and yeah. feedback and collecting feedback. And of course, at Blue Meridian, one way in which I know we will, I will not be in a bubble of positivity is our model at Blue Meridian is to have deep relationships with the grantee organizations yeah. and to be in partnership. And so, you know, I know how to build relationship with people and I trust that. Uh, the grantees I work with feel like um, or will feel over time like I'm a partner to them and that they will be honest and give me feedback and at the same time I could be kidding myself right like how, how do I know that they'll they'll be straight up well, I can tell you so far it's only been four months in they haven't been shy about telling right. me something right. so so I, I I trust that they will be honest and candid and that I won't live in a bubble of positivity nonetheless there is this role for for feedback but there's also this challenge with speaking truth to power and you and I had an exchange recently where you were like yeah I think philanthropies need to behave this way in the in the sector and that would improve power dynamics for nonprofits but nonprofits really need to step up too right. say more about that and then I'm going to challenge you on it because I was thinking about it and I don't I'm not so sure okay I'm bought in so I already know you're going to disagree with me before I even answer so make your best case yeah I know it's a lot of pressure but I feel what well, as you know CEP has spent almost two decades doing a lot of work on foundation effectiveness but a, and, and donor effectiveness more broadly, but a big part of what we try to do is elevate the perspective of nonprofits through our research as well as through our tools like the Grantee Perception Report, also our declined applicant survey, et cetera. And I feel like you know we've seen that funders that regularly get that kind of feedback actually do change, which is great. And then we've seen across like the field more broadly that there isn't that much change, which is not great. <laughs> and part of what I set out to do over the last year, year and a half, just as I've been trying to understand things better, is to spend more time just shadowing nonprofit leaders mm-hmm. and understanding and telling their story in various ways in writing and stuff. Because I feel like, okay, if the data isn't gonna convince you know funders about some of these challenges, you know, maybe maybe some of the more personal stories and experiences will will break through. And maybe I'm kidding myself. I don't know. In the course of doing that, I, I do hear sometimes people say things to me about things they feel they can't say to funders mm-hmm. that I wonder if they might might really be able to, and it would be okay. okay. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about people saying things like, you know, it's brutal that we cannot do any more than half of healthcare or offer any retirement at this little community-based organization we lead. And, and it's, leading, it's leading to me not being able to retain you know, people. And I will say to that person, and, and I'm not, you know, I've had this conversation with a bunch of different people, have you been really direct with your funders about that? Mm. And they will say no. 
you know, that they're afraid to be because because they don't want to highlight the turnover mm -hmm. for them. They don't want to, you know, and they're worried that it will affect their funding. And, and then I just wonder, well, how's it going to change? You know, and yes, we can surface some of this stuff in our grantee perception report. That's part of it. Um, that's an important tool. Like I said, it has contributed to change. But also, you know, I think sometimes you, nonprofit leaders just have to take the risk and say, actually, I need you to fund me in a different way. Mm -hmm. Or I need you to know what this challenge is. And not, and, and, and that's all I'm saying, that that, that, that risk, I, 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 I want to have faith that there, there, people will not be punished yeah. uh, for that. At least certain funders I know yeah. would be open and receptive. You know, it's hard to disagree with the idea of that, but I have to say I can't think of that many opportunities in 10 years being a nonprofit CEO where I saw right. the door open to right. make that kind of case right. to a philanthropy. I'd love for you to tell us one or two examples where you've had that conversation where you had to say like, no, you, I know you're offering this or yeah. this is the specific opportunity with you, but this is why it needs to be different and it actually resulted in that. I mean, I've definitely walked away from okay. funding opportunities sure. that were too prescriptive in ways that I didn't think aligned with what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, which which is brave and that's and that's really good. Yeah, yeah, I think in and and I questioned you know, in one case in a grantee meeting publicly the provision of single year restricted support to organizations that I thought by and large had goals that overlap with the funders. Uh, in that particular case, we, we never got another grant uh, from that foundation, so that would prove your point. Mm -hmm. uh, it, As I suspected. In other, uh, <laughs> it, I can't, you know, I can't draw the causal line there. Yeah. But in and then, but in other cases, I've definitely said to longtime funders, like we need to do a planning exercise that we can't build into our budget. You know, you know, and and it's going to be really problematic if we delay it and we can't, you know. Mm -hmm. Provide the additional money, uh, yeah. so that, so that's good. Are you asking more for something? I mean, the reality is, and this is this is where you know we we were very month to month in the early years at CEP. Mm -hmm. Like we 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 stressed out about you know the amount of money that was in the in the bank, whether we're going to be able to meet payroll, all of that in the early years. But we did, and maybe this was like arrogance. I don't know what this was. We just built in an approach to compensation and benefits that we thought was right. Mm -hmm. uh, and nobody ever pushed us on it. I mean, nobody ever said, actually, you know, your, your retirement or, or your, 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 let's say, your medical benefits, which are pretty good here, yeah. are too good. We're not going to fund you. Nobody yeah. ever said that. Yeah. In general, they're not as good as what you get at a big foundation, yeah. right? But they're but they're good relative yeah. to other organizations. So that maybe I'm reading the wrong lesson in this, but yeah. but that led me to wonder, like, well, why were we able to do that? Yeah. You know, and and it's partly because we just we're really like assertive about yeah. this is what we're going to do, and and so and it's different for community-based organizations, and I get that, yeah. but I just wonder if there's more of an opportunity to say, hey, funder, compare the compensation and benefits approach at your place to our place yeah and if you if we're important to you yeah. don't you want us to pay our staff in a way that they can afford to live you know and make this a long-term thing 
I think it's a good argument. I just don't think it ever happens that a nonprofit goes to a funder and says those words. Right. right. <laughs> and I don't think you can think of an example where you've done it either. So I'm, so I'm just right. being realistic that that doesn't happen. started would be not that you ask you know can you fund this planning work that we can't otherwise get right. funding for it'd be can you foundation change the way you think about overhead the formula right. you use for oh, overhead totally. right. go change that structural thing in right. your grant making process so right. that our grant could cover more of our overhead because right. you know the occasional can you fund this thing i can't get funding for sure I, I would hope all nonprofits have those kind of relationships with funders that they can at least ask but to say like i want you to fundamentally change the way your dollars flow because it impacts us i don't think those conversations happen well I, i'm just saying that they uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt you tiffany but i'm just saying like they have to happen because yeah because particularly for the smaller community-based organizations i mean i really believe that Many of the staff who work at these organizations are heroic in what they're doing, you know, and, and like I'm thinking about, you know, folks like the community health organization in Houston that I read about in, in, in Giving Done Right, where, you know, you've got, you've got nine staff, two of whom were clients, and that's how they learned about the organization, who are helping folks at their most desperate moments in poverty in this community in, in, in Houston, Epiphany Community Health Outreach Services. And to watch them is to realize like how excellent they are, how committed they are, and, and there are so many other organizations like that, and they need to be funded in a way that allows folks to stay there, you know, and, and, and the organization to be able to be able to benefit from the experience of people who've been there for the long term, that allows the executive director to actually have some support to do fundraising, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I just think that it's 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 got to change because, especially in this moment, like an organization like that, their work is so difficult in this particular political moment, you yeah. know, on top of everything else, when when they are helping, you know, the very people who who are are like federal government isn't just ignoring, they're targeting, and and uh, I don't know, I, I guess. Maybe I'm naive to think that this can shift, but I think funders need to take a responsibility and say, like, if we're not asking questions about what do you pay, what are your benefits, does that make sense? Yeah. And we're just giving a grant because we think that organization is really important and not asking yeah. those questions, that's irresponsible. Yeah. You know, I've never had a foundation ask me those questions, but I do, I do wish they would, and, and I'll tell you why, and it's a little bit different from why you're suggesting. Okay. Um, and it relates to something you said a moment ago about I just structured CEP so that we were paying people so that they could live their lives and we have benefits that make it an attractive place to work and I think it is a super attractive place to work. I wonder if you're able to get away with a certain set of things as a white male leader that every other nonprofit leader would have to think about what what race and gender dynamics they bring to the table um, in order to get away with, quote-unquote, certain things with their funding model and their performance metrics and and everything like that. But the point I was going to make is related to that, but not that. And it is, you know, I think there's wide scale acceptance that there are gender-based pay inequities. And I would suggest there are also race-based pay inequities that aren't as well-documented or well-embraced. 
And I wish philanthropies that have a lot of access to that kind of information across nonprofits would would raise some flags and start helping to equalize things a bit. And oh yeah, 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 and look at it internally too. I mean, I agree, and I, and I almost went there in terms of the, oh, sure, my internally. own yeah. privilege. It, yeah. You know, as a white dude with an MBA who was, you know, I, I I'm sure I didn't get a lot of questions. I think about the story I tell about you in the book getting, you know, somebody saying like, oh my gosh, you really understand financial statements. Like yeah. that wasn't just about the disrespect of nonprofit leadership. Yeah. It was, a, I'm sure it was about more than that. Yeah. Although I don't know the guy who said that to yeah. you, but, but I'm, I'm betting if I could look into his heart, you know, <laughs> but, but anyway, but, yeah. but, but I think one of my frustrations is that we're not doing Mm-hmm. I think this is probably true in corporate America too, but it's certainly true at a lot of foundations and a lot of a lot of nonprofits. The the basic things that can be done to mitigate the kind of things that you're talking about. So mm-hmm. people can say like, oh, we did a, a, a racial equity workshop, you know, and it was like amazing, and maybe it was, and mm-hmm. you know, but but then you you look at the same funder and you say like, curious, you know, how do you benchmark comp? in an objective way to yeah. assume that to ensure that people are paid based on position yeah. not previous pay or negotiating mm. yeah. prowess or what or assertiveness or whatever yeah. um, and and they and the answer at too many nonprofits and foundations is no like there's no logic to the pay like there's there's not yeah. a, a rigorous approach or do you do you have a hiring process that's basically you know blind to any sort of network bs right like right. so so that not to toot our horn, but like at CEP, not only do we redact college name, last name, front load objective assessments to try to reduce opportunities for implicit bias, yep. but also it means that like if my niece's friend reaches out to me because she's looking for a job, yep. that does not, nobody ever knows about that. That yep. never enters into decision making, yeah. you know, and and on down the line of these things yeah. that They're people- super woke. Well, no, CP no, I'm not saying that, but but because I'm sure we have a ton, we have a ton to go. Yeah, just the intentionality though behind what you're trying to do is impressive, and I think it gets you very very far. Yeah, and I wasn't fishing for 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 your praise, but yeah. but I but I what frustrates me is is the disconnect between the rhetorical conversation about this stuff. Yeah. And then the the lack of implementation of basic policies and processes that we know, for example, reduce yeah. like there's a lot known about what are triggers for bias. You yeah. know, like you can you can you can't eliminate bias, but you can reduce the opportunity for it to show up in decision making. Yeah. If you're committed to it. Yeah. You're you're making me think of some ideas to bring back to the foundation actually, because I um we care a lot about racial equity at Blue Meridian. Each of us I think individually in our hearts and as an organization and we, we talk about, well, how can that show up in choices we make and how we do the work? Yeah. And I think um, one idea I'm having right now is, is really looking. We do a lot of due diligence on organizations before they make it into the portfolio. I've not participated in a due diligence process myself yet because yeah. I'm only four months in. Right. Um, but we get really deep into the, the leadership of an organization, its board participation, its financials. And it'd be really interesting to think about holding an organizational an organization accountable to equity and pay, you know, at least across some level, down to some level in the organization, across race and gender lines. Yeah. As part of our selection process. Yeah. And I think you I think there's a bunch of questions that you can at least ask 
about process. I mean, you, you know. You, you can, but right, process for sure. But I mean, imagine if you have the data. Right, right. That yeah, the data on the folks who are currently there. Yeah. And then, and then the, and then the process on the hiring, on the hiring front, kind of in a forward-looking right. way as well. Correct. No, totally. Yeah, I think there's just a lot, a lot of opportunity. And I should say, like, to the extent that CEP has done, has 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 done some stuff that I think makes a lot of sense and that others should do. That's been entirely my colleagues, Elise D'Amico and Leah Wynn, who have pushed that over the last five years, basically, and just said, and and I think. Taken a really like experimental approach, mm-hmm. like let's see, let's see if we get a more diverse candidate pool if we yeah. if we try this or try yeah. that, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I think broadly speaking, too, aside from a lot of what you're doing on the DEI front. Just what you've done in terms of compensation and making CEP work-life balance, making CEP a place that is great to work, I admire and I it's one of my regrets from when I was a nonprofit leader. I, I wished I could have done more. You feel this weird guilt about you're, you're on the one hand responsible for fundraising, but to have the fundraising benefit you in part as well as everybody else, it it limited what actions I took and how quickly, and I regret it. So, for example, yeah. we had the worst parental leave policy yeah. ever, yeah. and I had three kids under that policy. Right. We had no paid leave. We had only the 12 weeks, you right. know, hold your job as required by law. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize how awful it was until I started having kids. And, it, it, you know, we just had a benefits and compensation program that started when we were founded. And it was a bunch of young people that weren't having kids. Right. Um, so, of course, I wanted to change that. But I needed to be out of my childbearing years be- before I yeah. mentally sort of consciously felt like, oh, it's the right time to do this without appearing like it's benefiting me. So so I fixed that. But after I had all my kids. Right. But... Um, but we still, I think, at Bell, and again, I'm still saying we, although I'm not there, yeah. could do better with retirement planning. Right. You know, I looked every single year at participation in our 401k program, which yeah. was unattractive because our match was so terrible. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, how can these people afford to work here for too long and right. not be building toward retirement? And that they do, and I felt awful about it. You know, myself included, I'm like 20 years later. You know, I'm I'm not prepared for retirement right. anytime soon because we just have the worst retirement plan ever. And so, you know, Bell Bell is nonetheless a phenomenal place to right. work, of right. course. But but these are things I think are are really tough to do. And um, you know, I think you you started by saying you structured it that way and just put it into your budget, uh, making CEP a healthy place to to work and an attractive place to work. And and you've as a result attracted some incredible people. And then I think you've been thoughtful about how it should evolve over time, which is great. Um, and I think you you might get away with more than I could have as a black leader with my budget and my overhead costs. But uh, nonetheless, I, I wish there was more space for leaders to think. And I think there's a role for philanthropies to play in looking at what an organization is offering to say, hey, you might not raise your hand on this yourself, but I'm going to suggest to you that you might need a more attractive 
benefits program so that the people working in your organization to serve others in poverty aren't themselves in poverty and I and I can think about how to fund you differently for that can I can I say one one thing and uh, before we before we wrap up our conversation I just to share my my I think biggest blind spot like you sort of sharing what you have regrets about was Kevin Boldick, who's been here, you know, from the beginning, and I worked together at a consulting firm prior to coming here, and it was a, like a strategy consulting firm in the corporate world that, you know, does good work and had good people, but had a culture at the time that we were there that was not the culture we wanted to replicate in terms of what it was like for for women, for people of color, for people who are gay, lesbian, you know, it was it was not the culture that we wanted to create. So we were very aware of that in terms of what we tried to do here. But where we, I think, really didn't do well initially was on the work-life thing, you know, because we came from a place where there was, it was like people worked 80, 90 hour weeks, like like they really did, you know, and not just like occasionally, regularly. And by comparison, we thought we were good, right? And because we were better than that, you know? (laughs) And it was over a number of years and repeated like staff angst about that Kevin and I started to realize that our comparative experience was entirely irrelevant. Nobody cared what we had done in our 20s. They were living their lives, you know? And then I started to realize my own like signaling in what I was doing. I used to resist the whole idea that like, you know, hey, Phil, like, don't send so many emails in the evenings and on the weekends. Yeah. I was like, well, when the heck else? I'm, I'm in meetings all day. I'm traveling all the time. Yeah. That's when I catch up on the emails. Well, why can't I just put it on a freaking delay, you know, yeah. and, like, make it mm-hmm. better for other people? Like, yeah. I can just do that. And why can't I? And then people started to say to me things like, it really means a lot to me when I see you leave early to go see watch your kid's high school soccer game. Like, that's really... Because they felt then yeah. empowered to do it themselves, yeah. and I, and I think I didn't, I just didn't get it, and mm-hmm. and uh, both in terms of like the irrelevance of my own experience, and in terms of what we were trying to do here, but also the, the way in which people are watching what you're doing and taking permission or not, yeah. culturally from 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 what you do. But yeah. anyway, it's so fun to talk to you, Tiffany. You too. It yeah. makes me. I, I kind of wish now that this whole conversation was about regrets, because now I'm thinking about all the. Other regrets I had from... Uh, we need w- way more time for yeah. my regrets. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but nonetheless, we've accomplished great things. And so congratulations to you on your new book. Thank you. And all that CEP is doing. Giving Done Right is a real, a real um, resource, a real reference guide um, that I hope others are taking up uh, increasingly over time. And thank you uh, for being um, such a like mentor to me. You're the youngest person on our board, I think. Uh, but with all due respect to all the other great people, possibly the wisest. So thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Phil. That's it for the Nonprofit Experience this week. Thanks for joining us. This episode was edited by our producer, Preston Whitwer. Shalina Omar is our digital director, and Andre Tidwell is the production assistant. All of our music was composed by David Mueller, and I'm the executive producer and host, Sandy Sear. This show is a listener-supported project of the Philanthropy Journal. You can donate, find show notes, and access previous episodes at philanthropyjournal.org. And don't forget, if you can, recycle some cardboard, carpool with a friend, and share this episode with someone you think should hear it.